party for Lumpur Pasno. Um, it's turning 74. That's always a special time in the monastery. And um, normally we don't uh, like to celebrate birth too much because it's, uh, it's sort of an acknowledgement that uh, you messed up, got born again. But uh, when it comes to some of the senior monks, and especially Lumpur, um, there's uh, any reason to kind of celebrate him. Uh, it's, it's quite special, and so yeah, there'll be a, a group of people coming tomorrow. And usually we have a ceremonial washing of his hands. So that's always a nice, nice occasion. So just uh, just been recollecting his life and the, the good qualities um, that he has encouraged in himself over his lifetime as a monk, and I have a lot of mudita and and uh, gratitude, appreciation for that. And so many of us have um, been able to have been a benefit, a benefactor um, from from his goodness. And uh, I just asked Ajanyanako today, I said, oh, we have about two weeks left to the Vasa. And he said, nope, we've got a week left. And so the Vasa is a time in the monastery uh, when, as many of you know, it's called the Rains Retreat. And it's a time in, in India when it was a, a rainy season. And the, um, I think the crops were being planted at that time. So the monks right when the, the Buddha began his dispensation, the, um, dispensation he, uh, he, was, he did a lot of walking, walked all over uh, the north of India. And, and that's what the monks and nuns did at the time. They, they were alms mendicants, so they, they walked and uh, did that a lot. I think it wasn't until about between 100 and 200 years after the Buddha's passing that the monks and nuns started to settle into monasteries and began a more settled practice. But during the, the rains, the, um, I think it was the monks who were being complained about from the, the people who were, the, the, the farmers who were um, sowing their seeds and then they were wrecking the new crops. And so the Buddha encouraged them to settle down um, for a few months and that didn't mean that they couldn't uh, walk anymore, but they, they needed to stay in a, a particular area. And for traditionally, what, what that means for us is we'll, we'll tend to stay in uh, the monastery for a few months and we can go out. We're allowed about a week at a time for very particular reasons. 
and we have to be back within a week. But usually there isn't a lot of traveling. And so when the, um, the monks in, in, in the monasteries and the Ajahn Chah tradition will, um, although the rains, obviously it's not raining much here, but uh, we, still, uh, we still kind of take on that same time because it would, we, in general, it would be kind of confusing if different monks around the world were kind of showing up. So I already did the rains, and then they're showing up in another person's rains retreat. And so we just keep the, the rains the same time of year. And the nice thing about it is, is it's sort of a, like a family get-together. So there's a, a more of a steadiness of the, the monastics who are present during this time. And so as of... A few hours ago, I believe, Lumpur um, was the last to settle in, so I don't think there's going to be any more coming and going this week. And then we'll, we'll make a determination at the end of this week to stick around. And so that's, um, that's always, a, you know, there's a, a bit of a feeling around that, sometimes a good feeling, sometimes if, if somebody has any hesitancy, they... Um, they're sort of stuck. <clears throat> but it's also, as I said, it's, a, it's like a familial time. It's a time of um, knowing that there isn't actually this coming and going. And that happens the same during our winter retreat. We don't really uh, allow the, the monastics here to, to come and go. So we have those, those two. That's the proper time when it actually is raining. Uh, so it's those two times uh, that generally the, the monastery has a um, a steady presence of the same group of, of monastics here. And yeah, it's a, it's a nice period of time. And uh, also another tradition about it is that we, we tend to, it tends to be a time where you look at your own practice and you, you kind of think of things that you might do to bring up more wholesome behaviors, uh, some things that you can sort of up the ante on your, your practice. And so that's not necessarily just a thing for the monastics to do, for, but for any, any practitioner who's engaged, it's always a good uh, time. Any time is a good time to do it, but um, it's, it's nice to know, well, the, the monastics are doing it this time, maybe that's also a good time to bring that up. And especially those who are going to be spending, uh, all of us who are spending the vasa here, And one of the encouragements that we have during this time is, you know, we will study our Vinaya together, um, our, our rules, and so it's a, it's a very big, um, it's a time of, of training where we really kind of look at what it is we're doing and how we're doing it and the, the guidelines that we have for our, our behaviors as monastics. And uh, I, I remember Lumpur always, always, um, he doesn't tend to go to the classes anymore, or he'll just go to one or two at the end. But he would say when he was attending them, I think he stopped a few years ago, and he'd say, oh, but when I was attending them, I did it for, I think he did it 30, 40 years, about 40, 40 uh, actually 45 years, I think. And he said that every year he'd do it, he'd learn something new. You know, even after 45 years, he'd come to a class and he'd say, oh, something something new that 
um, hadn't, hadn't, he hadn't heard or, or um, known before. Because there's, you know, it's, it's, I think it comes down to like 13,000 rules or something like that. Oh no, it's 13,000 words. I can't remember how many rules it is, but somewhere in the many thousand. Um, No, it's not 13,000 words. That would be a lot of words <laughs> to recite the... Uh, I think it's like 2,000. 2,000, okay, yeah. Two to 3,000. Two to 3,000. Ah, okay. Oh, it is 13,000 words. All right. Okay. That's another thing. So the, you know, the, we, we have a tradition of learning the Padimokha. And so there's some of us who have learned that and... Um, I know, I think this is a good example, as I know like a, a test for myself or where I am with my practice is how, how I'm doing with that. Um, because it's not just something you memorize and then it, you're done. You don't have to work at it. You have to keep that memorization up. So I, I tend to see like where my practice is sometimes based on how well that memorization is going. And if I know that I'm not uh, tending to keep that up, then that's, an, that's, a, that's a thing for me to kind of be aware of. And so I'll, I'll put some more effort into that. And that's in general how uh, Libra really encouraged us to, to look at our own practice, to examine our own minds and think about where are our, uh, the, the, the tendencies we have that are either not um, wholesome or in ways that we've backslid, we are, we're not um, really moving in the direction we might be wanting to move in. And so the, the rains retreat is often a time where um, monks and nuns will make determinations and they will um, try to, to make promises to, to themselves in areas where they might not be, um, they, they can see like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing so well in this particular area. And uh, so that's, a, that's one of the, the beautiful aspects that the Buddha really taught about was this this honesty that we really need to have, uh, veracity with ourselves, this truthfulness around how we are behaving and, and whether we're really upholding um, his teachings and moving in, in the direction of the wholesome and uh, sort of decreasing in the unwholesome. And that's, you know, that's something that I think it's good to bring up now rather than just right before the Vasa. It's good to really bring up ways that we want to increase our practice, ways we want to make promises to ourselves. These are called aditana, determinations. And um, so that we have, you know, we have something that we can kind of rise up to during this period of time. But the, the trick to, to making determinations is to do it, to do it well. And Speaking from experience, it can be done in ways that are not, not so well. Um, I think one of the, one of the ways that uh, we want to try to make determinations are um, in ways that we're not becoming a burden for other people. You know, we're not burdening other people by our determinations. So, for example, um, there was a monk who during the Vasa made the determination not to speak. And that might sound like, oh, that would be so nice, or what a wise determination. But um, 
it, it's kind of a bit of a humorous sutta when the Buddha is talking about it, or when, when this, this monk is uh, being interrogated by the Buddha, he's just asking him in all the ways that he's, he keeps silence, and he's, he's just saying all of these constant ways that he's keeping silent. And you could see that, oh yeah, it would be a, it'd kind of be a bit of a burden for people, you know, that if, they, if they want to communicate with him, they can't do it. Um, or if he needs something done, he has to go out of his way and, and sort of communicate in some other way. And so the Buddha surprisingly made it a, an offense to determine silence during the Vasa. I was quite fascinated to, hear, fascinated to hear that because when I became interested in um, Buddhism, I just thought that was the end-all, be-all that, I mean, before I was um, practicing it all, just learning about Buddhism in college, I said, oh, the monks were just, they were completely silent and they never spoke to anybody. They'd take a vow of silence for the rest of their lives. And uh, to learn later on that the Buddha actually, you know, said it was a, an offense for the um, the monks and nuns, if they tried to do that during the rains. He didn't, he didn't go as far to say one can't do it at all. But that's because the, the path that the Buddha really pointed out was a, it was a path of the middle way. It wasn't something extreme. And we can see that, that taking on extreme determinations don't work. Like, I'm not going to eat for the next three months. Now, that might be a little extreme. Um, or, you know, just other, other things that uh, we might see is like, I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to take it to the limit. And it's just very, you know, um, it's very kind of black and white thinking. It's sort of just like, it's either that way or it's this way. It's, there's no other, um, no other path. And, and so really what, what we want to try to do is, is be moderate with ourselves. And if we're going to make determinations, we're going to make promises to ourselves, we do so in ways that we can actually fulfill them and they're not going to be a burden on others. They're not going to be an extreme burden on ourselves. So one of, the, one of the ways that this is done is to actually make promises to ourselves that we can actually fulfill. Um, so there, there are things that we know we can actually do, uh, which wouldn't be, you know, things that are, are so extreme that we're just, we're just taking them on. So somebody might determine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit for 10 hours a day. And uh, that sounds like a, you know, a very inspiring determination to sit in meditation for 10 hours, but is that actually something one can do? You know, not only physically, but does the schedule allow that? Is that going to be placing a, an extreme burden on one? Um, or decreasing sleep? And then one decreases so much sleep that in the 10 hours of meditation, there's just, they're just sleeping through the meditation. So it's important to, to try to think about these things in a moderate way, but, but they're very helpful. I can think about some of the most beneficial uh, times in my monastic practices when I've made promises to myself, myself and, uh, and then fulfilled those promises and felt quite confident about it. And so the, you know, the, the tendency that people have with, with promises like this, people make resolutions, New Year's resolutions, is that they, statistically, they, I think it's like 95% of them fail. So we have, to, we have to really try to think of how it is for ourselves if we're going to try to uh, increase um, 
the wholesomeness in our practice, change some of our habits that we know are not helpful for us, how do we do that so that we don't fail? And you know, one of the one of the things that I, I recognized is that if you do break a promise to yourself, it's not the end of the world. What's the end of the world is you you we just then throw it out. Say, okay, that's it. It's over. I didn't. I wasn't able to fulfill this. I think that what what tends to and what I understand um, from making determinations like this is when what tends to make them unattainable or, or not something that will work out is that when we make a mistake, when we, we aren't able to fulfill them, then we throw it away or we just, we make another mistake the next day. And so that's, the, that's kind of the important thing is that we're encouraging ourselves in an endeavor like this. And so if we, if we break a determination, it's not, it's not actually the breaking of the determination that's a problem. It's the next day. It's just picking it up again, saying, okay, I'm gonna start over. Um, and keep going with it. So I would say that I think most determinations are broken. Actually, it's the second day that they're broken when somebody does it again. And then it's just, it's just kind of over at that point. It's very hard to, to begin again. So we have to not make it a pattern. But some of these determinations can come in the form of how we eat. So for, for the monastics, that's something that um, you know, we hear that, or reflection around food. Ajahn Chah and the Buddha both spoke about eating less, being moderate in how much we consume. And that's because food is one of the only sensual outlets and one of the more intense sensual outlets that occurs um, in this form, especially with either the eight precepts or, or anything more than that. So we have to really try to curtail um, or, or see for us if there is a problem there, then how, how can we really, how can we take on some, some rules or guidelines for ourselves that's not going to be problematic, it's not going to make, you know, make us more neurotic or create problems for other people. Um, and so that's, you know, it's an important thing. I think uh, one year I did I decided that I would count the number of, I would have a limit to how many mouthfuls I would have. And although it worked, uh, they were very large mouthfuls. And so um, there's a funny rule that the Buddha has. He says if you're, um, you're, a mouthful cannot be less than the size of a chicken egg. And, uh, and it's very strange because you think, wow, that's a, that's a big mouthful. But it's probably because chicken eggs were, were quite small, maybe like, uh, maybe more like quail eggs. And so, um, but I was able to fulfill that, <laughs> that rule, that uh, vasa. So, um, and it was helpful because there was a limit there. And it was quite interesting, just one of the things that, that we get out of making a determination is we see the dukkha in our own minds around it. We see like, oh, I, I have to have more, or this isn't enough. Uh, or I just have to have one more. That would often be some something I'd say, and I would I would just stick to it each day, and I found that that incredibly helpful. I think I was trying to I was I was having a, a, a difficult decision. I said, is it, is it fifteen mouthfuls or twenty? What do I do? So I settled on seventeen, and I lost a bunch of weight, 
Um, but then, interestingly enough, I just studied out. There wasn't a problem. And I felt incredibly healthy. At the end of the Vasa, uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a very good experience for me. And, uh, and so that was, just, that was just one way to kind of moderate things. I think I'd also given up breakfast. So it was, it was really interesting to see the mind. And I will say that those 17 mouthfuls were very important. They were uh, something that took on a lot of meaning for me. And uh, that was also something to, to see and to watch. You know, my relationship to food and how that, how that would um, change just on, on kind of restricting something like that. You know, the Buddha, um, in, in talking to some, some of the mendicants of another religion, they were, they were praising them because they weren't, they weren't eating very much. So they would, they would have like days that would go like, five days without food, or he was counting, or seven, or nine, or whatever it was. And, and some, I think another, maybe another, one of the monks was, was praising it, and the Buddha said, well, what do they do on the days that they eat? Well, they eat a lot of food. And he said, right, so it's not, you know, it's not moderation. Are they gorging yourself on food on the days that you do eat? So it's just always kind of, I, I reflect on what Lumpur Pasno continued to teach, you just continue to teach normality. Just try to be normal. And um, and this is this is really important with kind of balancing the mind with these things. Like rather rather than trying to make heroic efforts, it's just steadiness. It's making a steady determination, a steady will towards our own practice, um, rather than making a heroic attempt for three months or two weeks or whatever it might be. But that's the tendency we have, and we'll look at it that way. I'm going to become the hero now. I'm going to make my determination. But I think the, the main determinations are to set ourselves right again, you know, to, um, to bring ourselves more into a, a pathway that we feel comfortable with and, and is steady for us. So it's sort of like a reset button when we, when we do these determinations so that we kind of come to a more moderate stage of our, you know, how we're, uh, how we're practicing. One of the things that can happen as a danger from this is that we get inured to it, we get a sense that it's like it just becomes normal so there's nothing special in it really. Um, so I've had a determination for like 17 years around a couple of things and and they're not they don't really in certain ways I've found loopholes, in other ways um, you know, I've never broken a couple of them, but they lose their specialness because there's not much reflection there anymore. It's just automatic. I don't know how many of you have those habits that you've created that, you, that have stayed with you for, you know, a decade or two. But it's interesting, the relationship to them can be that they're not, they've lost any kind of sense of, of um, restraint around them because there's not, there's not really an interest towards them anymore. Which is not a bad thing, but it, it doesn't, it sort of can also indicate a sense of stagnancy if we're just relying on something like that, but we're not, we're not stepping up to something more, um, more difficult. And so that's, that's just um, some things that, that we can kind of think about over this, 
this week for the monastics or anybody else who's here who wants to kind of think about those um, possibilities that um, we might have in, in terms of taking on some decisions that would be helpful for us and some um, promises to ourselves. <clears throat> and again, often these are these can be in the form of sort of the usual things like around our practice. We want to make sure that we're increasing our like our formal practice, really paying attention to our formal practice. And this is all to add in the, into our own sense of mindfulness, um, our following of the, the Eightfold Path. Um, these are like, it's an aid to us. And so it's, it's, uh, it's quite beneficial to, um, to think in, in various ways, like where, where are the mistakes being made, where are the, uh, the loopholes we found for ourselves, what are the, the easy way outs, how are we giving in to sensuality when we know that it's not helpful for us? Sometimes people say, like, oh, are you, they'll say to me, are you, are you, um, have you ordained to, to realize enlightenment? And I'll say, sometimes. Sometimes I have. Sometimes that's the reason, or sometimes that's why I'm still with it. But I'm, I'm saying sometimes because there's other times when I'm not honoring that. You know, I might say, like, Oh well, I, I really shouldn't do that thing. I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't, or or if I was if I'm really gearing towards enlightenment, then this is not the pathway, and that I still might go in that unwholesome direction, I might give in to sensuality um, or some sort of distraction that I know isn't beneficial, and so that's a again that veracity with oneself, um, a sense of honesty and truthfulness is incredibly important, and so as we're you know, we're, we're really thinking about these things. We want to be honest with ourselves. And uh, it's not easy uh, to, to go against the grain of, of what it is that we, we want to do that, that might not be beneficial for us. In fact, it's extremely hard. It's, it's one of the more difficult things that we can do. It's like an uphill battle. And, uh, but we do it because we know it's, it's uh, helpful for us. And we know it's the best thing to do so that we are engaged in that, we are engaged in the sense of um, relinquishing, letting go, uh, and, and seeing you know, if it's possible to, to really have insight and realization into the Buddha's teachings. So we have a, um, possibly a longer night tonight for those who wish to stay up and then also um, Ajinyanako has asked that uh, we'll, we should all be around for uh, the meal tomorrow, um, a little bit before, uh, for Lumpur's 74th. And um, so I will close there. And if there's anything that's been helpful for you in that, then please take it with you. Possibly make some determinations, think about them, see if they'd be beneficial. And, uh, but anything that hasn't been useful, just feel free to leave it behind. You're